prezident osvoboditel se ubírá tam, kde vždycky byl vítán vděčně a oddaně, kdykoliv jen se v pražských ulicích objevil. When President Masaryk died on the 14th of September 1937, he left a huge vacuum. His funeral a week later lasted nine hours and was broadcast in its entirety on Czechoslovak radio. Amid the mourning of an entire nation, it is indeed difficult for one who is a stranger, even though he does not feel himself to be a stranger in your country, to speak of Thomas Masaryk. One of those who spoke about Masaryk immediately after his death was his old friend Robert Seaton Watson. Many have paid tribute to his qualities as a man and a statesman, as one of the noblest figures in the long succession of your national torchbearers. It has indeed been said of him without flattery or exaggeration that Masaryk came nearer than any contemporary ruler to the old Greek ideal of the philosopher king. But this is not the note that I wish to strike, for I believe that from me you will expect something rather more personal, some memories perhaps of those troublous times when he was cut off from the mass of his own countrymen by the iron barrier of war, but when I had the rare privilege of working with him in his self-imposed exile in London. Seton Watson was a well-known British historian and political activist, and at the end of the First World War had played a significant role in shaping the new Central European order that emerged from the collapse of the Austro-Hungarian Empire. Masaryk had spent time in London during his wartime exile, and it was there that they had become friends. It was a time when all his high qualities of faith and endurance were most needed and were most in evidence. If I say that he seemed to breathe a rarefied atmosphere, This is not to suggest that there was anything cold or inhuman about him. On the contrary, he was intensely human, gay, simple, unperturbed, entirely natural. But shams and insincerities did not flourish in his presence. He was not exactly one of those of whom we say in English that he could not suffer fools gladly. It was rather that the foolish or the frivolous or the venomous wilted under his calm and often silent scorn. Then again, to use two other good old English phrases, he did not wear his heart on his sleeve, and he steadily refused to keep his goods in the shop window. I have known more than one man whom he failed to impress at the first meeting, but who afterwards came entirely under his spell, all the more effectually because the process was gradual. Many years later, Masaryk himself remembered an occasion when, during the First World War, he was detained by the British police, who were thoroughly confused by his Austrian passport. I recall how the English sense of order caused me some difficulties. The police of my district controlling my passport, it was 1915, could not understand how an Austrian citizen could be a Czechoslovak. My friends had to intervene at the Scotland Yard. Tomáš Garig Masaryk was elected the first Czechoslovak president by the National Assembly in Prague on the 14th of November 1918. But the earliest known recordings of his voice are from 1928, marking the country's 10th birthday. Není to nic těžkého. 
pečujte o čistotu svého těla, nebojte se vody, mějte se schutí. The president spoke to children, reminding them to wash every morning and to keep themselves fit in the fresh air. But he also gave a talk about democracy. Democracy, he said, is not just a state form, but a method of all private and public life. It is a view on life. The basis of democracy is agreement of the people. It is moderate intercourse, love and humanity. Successful domestic and foreign policy with a conscious political leadership counts on an agreement among citizens on the things that are most important and on the basic direction of political activity. The state is not just a mechanism. Politics is not just about being skilled in administration and diplomacy. The state is a bond of citizens built on reason and morality. Masaryk took his model for the democratic state primarily from Britain and the United States, where Czechoslovak independence was first declared in the dying days of the First World War. And it's worth remembering that his wife Charlotte was also from the United States. In 1932, Masaryk addressed radio listeners across the Atlantic. We are giving you tonight a broadcast in commemoration of the 200th anniversary of the birth of George Washington. The commemorative address will be delivered by His Excellency Thomas G. Masaryk, President of the Czechoslovak Republic, through the courtesy of the Czechoslovak Broadcasting Company. When we savored the bonds binding us to the old Habsburg monarchy, I was aware that our decision must not be less motivated than the resolution taken by the founder of American liberty. And having recovered our liberty, we again follow the example of Washington in that we must no longer feel the old antagonism and anger which originated in the suppression of our liberty. This theme of reconciliation is significant, as there were plenty of post-independence Czech politicians still seeking revenge on Austria and Germany. The idea of generosity in victory was not necessarily going to make him liked. But then, Masaryk was never a populist. His address continued. It is one of the great experiences of my life that I was allowed to proclaim the principles of our revolutionary liberation in the Independence Hall, the place where Washington and his friends used to meet. My hearty wishes to the American people. You have just heard His Excellency President Masaryk, and you will now hear the Honorable Frederick P. Hibbard, Chargé d'Affaires of America. Dr. Masaryk needs no introduction to Americans, as he has spent much time in the United States, where he has become thoroughly familiar with our institutions and our people, for whom he has always expressed the greatest sympathy and affection. And I think it's singularly fitting that he has graciously consented to broadcast a message today when we are celebrating the 200th anniversary of the birth of George Washington. 
for in his own successful struggle for the independence and welfare of our sister republic, Czechoslovakia, he has paralleled the ideas and ideals of Washington. Less than a year after the Washington bicentenary, Hitler had come to power in Germany, and Europe had become a very different place. In a talk to listeners in Britain to mark the 10th anniversary of the foundation of the BBC, Masaryk spoke of his dream of a united Europe, built on cooperation and trust. He began with a historical perspective. I am happy to remember that our Bohemian King George in the 15th century tried to organize a pan-European league for international peace. There can, of course, be no doubt that political difficulties and crises are to a certain extent rooted in economic difficulties, just as, on the other hand, economic difficulties and crises are influenced and graduated by political difficulties. I am convinced that here, too, it is mainly a matter of how to return to international solidarity and collaboration. Cooperation with Europe, all people of goodwill must get together to work towards the ultimate ideal, which means not only to get out of the present crisis, but also prepare the absolutely necessary atmosphere for lasting peace. There are a great many unsolved problems in the troubled world of today, but we must settle them in friendly and honest discussion, for they won't be solved by bombing cities and killing innocent women and children we need confidence to each other instead of poisonous gases. If the coming World Economic Conference will help towards a solution of our financial and business troubles, it is equally important for the Disarmament Conference to go as far as is humanly possible towards preparing a lasting peace. The cooperation of America in both instances is extremely important and I expect from the two Anglo-Saxon countries to do their share. The times of any thoughts of splendid isolation are over. We are all in the same boat. As we listen to President Masaryk, it is strange to think that he was born as far back as the mid-19th century but he was modern in more than just his political perspectives. He also embraced technology, here talking about the power of radio to bring people together. His enthusiasm is reminiscent of some of the idealism that accompanied the spread of the internet some 60 years later. We remain true to the principles of peace, justice and democracy. If this policy is to be soundly based, it must of course spring from the democratic spirit of the nations and their education. Today, we are not lacking the means for such education. Technical progress is continually placing new such means at our disposal. One of them is broadcasting 
which is becoming one of the most popular bonds of union among the nations, as well as one of the most suitable instruments for the spread of culture and art and of political education. The spread of broadcasting is a direct document of progress and sense for education and culture. Most recordings of President Masaryk are formal, even austere. An exception is an unedited piece of newsreel from the President's country seat at Lani Castle, probably recorded for one of the American news networks in 1929, when talkies were something new. Although the film begins with the President inspecting a line of troops, it soon takes an informal turn. We see him riding in the park and talking to his daughter Alitza and he also stands and talks into the camera with a broad grin on his face. Good morning. A fine day after the fox on the last week. And I see the new film. As yet I didn't see and hear it. A nice, a great invention of America. I'm sure not the last one. If I observe the inventiveness of our modern scientists, I sometimes fancy a much greater invention. To see and hear in the distance without any wire. Just imagine, you could observe from your place, say in the sitting room, the jungles of Africa what the wild beasts are doing there. You could see and listen to the jungles of our human society. Every man then would be forced to be honest. And there would be no secret plotting anymore of all the wickedness. Wonderful, no? When President Masaryk was re-elected for the third time in 1934, he was already frail, as we can hear in this recording of him taking his presidential oath. He resigned in 1935, as his health continued to fail, and died on September the 14th, 1937, almost exactly a year before Hitler brought his republic to an end. During the German occupation and the subsequent 40 years of communist rule, the recordings we have been hearing were kept firmly locked in the archives. But that's not quite the end of the story. In the wartime Czechoslovak government in exile in Britain, Tomáš Garig Masaryk's son, Jan, served as foreign minister, and the legacy of Masaryk was an important reminder of Czechoslovakia as a solid democratic ally of Britain and America in the struggle against Nazism. A recording of a radio play survives in our archive, written by the Czech writer František Langer, who was also in exile in Britain, and it must have been broadcast from London at the height of World War II. 
It tells the story of Masaryk's life leading up to the time when he became president, ending with his arrival back in Prague in 1918, somewhat embarrassed by the hero's welcome he is given. The writer Karel Chapek asks Masaryk whether he feels that his life reached its zenith on the day that Czechoslovakia was formed. Life does not reach its zenith on any particular day or as the result of any particular event. If I had to say what I regard as my zenith, I would express it like this. It is comprised of the fact that not even as the head of the state did I discard one iota of what I believed in when I was a poor student, a university professor, an unpopular critic, and a new-style politician. The things I have always believed in have proved true in the course of my life, so that today, wielding the authority I do, I need not make the slightest change in my faith in humane ideas and democracy, in my quest for truth, nor in the supreme moral and religious command of love for mankind. These ideals which I have avowed have proved their worth to me in adversity over and over again. And I know that in this unequal struggle for a better future, I have been on the right side. And for this reason, you can say that my life has been a happy one. As yet, I haven't managed to find the names of the actors who performed in the radio play, nor do I know exactly who was the intended audience. Although it is unashamedly a piece of propaganda, the play is well written, in the spirit of some of Langer's educational writings for children. To this day, it reminds us how in many ways Tomasz Garig Masaryk was a modern figure. In his fight for women's rights, the rights of workers and against anti-Semitism, and in his faith in a democracy built on the responsibility of the individual, he was, for much of his life, going against the current of the times. The second part of David Vaughan's new series, In Their Own Words, Voices That Shaped Czech History, will be in two weeks' time.